Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. What was the uh, the live show like though for the band? You know, if I had oh. seen if I had seen Platypus in 1979, 1980, what would it have been like? It was high energy. Um, you know, we went from um, being a group that did choreography and stepping and stuff to um, just grooving on stage how you wanted to groove to the music that we was playing, and uh, that it was high energy though. And, um, you know, people enjoyed what we did, you know, but it was high energy and we just, everybody would just groove. And that was one of the things that was different with uh, white acts as opposed to black acts. Blacks uh, acts had more of a, a rehearsed approach to their show where uh, white acts, they just got on stage and grooved to the music and everybody, whoever Whatever your groove was, that was okay because that's where you was at. And over in the corner, somebody might be grooving differently. So that's what Platypus adopted, you know, as our approach to being on stage. So it created a high energy thing and um, it went over well. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what transpired to the second record? You know, what uh, changed about the approach and the process? And, you know, what was that experience like? Well, you know, Art Stewart, who I had worked with many times uh, based on, he was a, um, one of the engineers uh, at Motown Records. And with me doing a lot of background vocals and what have you with Hal Davis, um, I came to befriend Art Stewart way before he produced Platypus, the second album, Cherry. Um, the good thing was that when his name came up, you know, me and Carrie uh, pretty much had somewhat of a, a rapport with him. We might not have had work with him in a while, but there was periods you'd see people a lot and then you'd be periods you don't see them, you know. And uh, but we knew him and he knew us. And uh, that was good. But um, because and this is how the industry works. We earned the right to do uh, produce the, the first album. But because record sales were not as grand as they wanted them to be, they wanted to bring in a producer. 
And that's just how the industry thinks. Well, they didn't get it done. Maybe we'll bring somebody in and we'll get it done this next time, you know. So they brought Art in and Art did a good job, you know, um, brought some good songs to the table and a lot of the stuff was ours. And he uh, uh, brought some things. One of the, my favorite songs, uh, I was listening to it the other day, uh, um, giving you all my love. Carrie sings that. And I think he did a wonderful job on that. And that was a Art Stewart song that he brought. Um, and there was another one that I led. Um, it was uh, Colorblind, Colorblind. Yeah, it was a good song. So, uh, but, it, you know, he brought his uh, thing. Um, we was we had a more of a raw approach to our recording of the music where most producers kind of gather things and make it a little bit smoother with their approach to doing it. It worked and it was a good job, you know. So I don't think anybody was unhappy with it, uh, to my knowledge, anyhow, you know, but I think uh, it came off well. I thought it was a solid record. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, so. I like tracks too, like Pearl. And uh, yeah, Pearl was hot. Ice Cream Delight, um, some more good guitar there. Um, yeah, have a good now time. That, I, I have to speak on uh, uh, the Cherry album. That's when we got Jerry Johnstone. We call him Stony Rock. You know, he was a guitar player. Uh, he was probably about, if he wasn't right out of high school, he was at least a year to two out of high school uh, at when uh, Larry passed. And uh, Curdy and Jones had jammed with him and they immediately thought he would be a great because he was very close to where uh, Larry was in his playing, you know, his style. And Jerry came in and did a fantastic job, as you can hear in his guitar work on uh, uh, Cherry. Uh, he got in there as a young, a young guy, but uh, you could see he was many years ahead in playing guitar, you know. <laughs> <clears throat> what was the process like in the studio did the music uh get laid down first and then the vocals put on top or did you guys kind of do it together um generally now i don't know how they're doing it this day but i'm still old school when i do tracks you lay your basic tracks down first and then you start your overdubbing whether that's instruments or whether that's vocals but you get your bass track you know, laid to where you're happy with it. It's got the right feel. It's got the right groove. And then you're, you start to build on it from there and build on it. I mean, overdubs, whatever that might be. And then you, in most cases, you might put a dummy vocal down, but uh, to, to help the band know where they're at, but the vocals really don't, you don't start really getting into vocals till all the music is laid overdubs and everything you had the earth wind of fires sax player guest on there too on that one don myrick yes uh well this probably um on that particular um that would have been an art Stewart thing you know since he was um producing the track he brought in some people and, I, and like i said I, I i like it i still like listening to it you know from time to time and um Appreciate Your Love was a song that me, Dana, and Weatherspoon wrote. And um, Dana had always led it, but 
um, Art, I believe he liked it. He wanted to do it. So with the high notes and everything, that uh, uh, was a song that I ended up uh, singing when I only used to sing one part of it. Dana did a great job of singing it, but uh, he wasn't with us anymore. So I ended up um, getting drafted uh, to uh, do it, and uh, it came out great. Um, who are some of your biggest influences singing wise, would you say? Well, you know, um, growing up, it started with, you know, the temptations was the, the temptations was the end all of all singing in groups, you know, and then you had the impressions. They were great, great harmonies, um, intruders, Smokey, the Delphonics, uh, Tim Prees. And but but see that was the early now and here's what's interesting, I was in church choir and a lot of blacks like to say that they got their beginning and and I and it played its part but where my real training came was high school choir at Roth High School and what was great about it 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 broadened my um, appeal for music you know we sang songs that most Blacks wouldn't even pay attention to. Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a... I mean, I wouldn't have been listening to that normally, you know, but when we sang it, I said, that's nice. Then we had the good harmonies to it. Tonight, tonight, won't be just... I would not have been introduced to that had I not been in the choir. And so that helped broaden... So, And I'm saying that to start talking about Chicago, the band, uh, uh, the, the harmonies that they had, uh, the musicianship. Um, it introduced me to uh, Doobie Brothers, you know, harmonies, um, which maybe had I not been in a high school choir learning other things to broaden my um, appeal for music, who knows, maybe I would have liked it anyhow, maybe I wouldn't. Yes. John Anderson always uh, loved his vocal and the harmonies was just, <laughs> I love their harmonies, you know. So all of those influences, you know, became, as I grew, became more of a part of me, you know. And of course, you know, at 50 Mention, I was a big fan of theirs. I love Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. Their harmonies was through the roof, you know. <laughs> so... Uh, it was a lot of things that influenced me and um, association. Uh, I mean, I, I, oh, mamas and the papas. I mean, great harmonies and singing. So all of that uh, helped broaden my love of an appeal for music, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What... Uh... What did you get exposed to at Casablanca, you know, at the time? Did you cross paths ever with, you know, uh, George Clinton or that side of things or with anyone from, uh, you know, the Donna Summer Camp or any of the other acts that they had? I don't uh, remember having any. Now, that that's I'm talking about me. I can't speak for uh, Curdy or Carrie or Jones, they might've been at the company, you know, but I, I never did um, recall crossing paths 
with any of the major other major artists there, you know. So um, in answer to your question, I don't remember meeting anyone. No. Did they ever try to, or it sounds like they did not, but I would think maybe they would try to put you guys, uh, you know, opening maybe for shows for one of the other Casablanca acts or something like that. That didn't happen. I, I think that uh, uh, would have happened had the group had gotten a, a decent, sizable response to the record and the music. That that's They do those kind of things to help pump it up, you know, once it gets, uh, you know, kind of gets going. But uh, no, that never, to my knowledge, we never had that talk. Now, at the time we was at Casablanca, uh, Mark Gordon was managing us, him and Al Biagi. And if you remember uh, Mark Gordon, he was the manager for the Fifth Dimension. And he was married to Florence LaRue in the Fifth Dimension. So uh, he was managing us. I can't say that that wasn't discussed with them and then the company. But um, to my knowledge, I don't know of anything like that happening. Mm. Did you have any sense of some of the sort of excesses that were going on at Casablanca at the time with uh, Neil Bogard and all that stuff? Now, they have this movie coming out later this year, Spinning Gold, that's about, you know, the whole Casablanca Records empire and how it came tumbling down, that whole thing. Well, you know, you actually, I'm going to tell you, when we came to Casablanca, Neil Bogart was probably headed out because he wasn't that much longer because Bruce Bird, who signed us, ended up being the top man at Casablanca while we were there. And I, um, he moved on up to the top. So I'm going to say, uh, and that wasn't known to the public, but when you see things happen later, you can kind of figure, well, when we come in, he probably was already looking to leave, you know. So um, the company had been built. I don't know if there was some other politics going on there or not. But, um, but you know, what's interesting about what you said about Casablanca, Christian Wycane. Oh, yeah, I see that name here. Christian John yeah. Wycane, it says. There you go. That's the gentleman. He was a major of a fan of Platypus. He was doing a an article on Casablanca. And he was doing, you know, Donna Summer, Kiss, but he also decided he wanted to see what other groups was there that wasn't as big but was part of the label. And um, this was his story, uh, uh, as he shared with me. And he um, saw Platypus, uh, the name, and uh, did some um, looking into the music fell in love with Dancing in the Moonlight. Absolutely fell in love with it. And he wanted to do, know more about the group. So he ended up doing a whole uh, interview piece on all of us uh, in the group. Uh, he called people and talked to them on the phones and got, and then he did a whole thing. You can, it's called Pop Matters. It's online and you probably can go look it up. And he did the whole thing about platypus. So when you mentioned that about uh, what you were saying about the platypus, that's, uh, I mean, the Casablanca thing, it made me think of him. And he did that. And, and then from him listening to more music and love and dancing in the moonlight, he was already writing um, notes for CDs for, for big break records in England for many. Uh, and he went to them and said, this music needs to be 
released again like these others. And lo and behold, they uh, listened to him. And as they say, the rest is history. He got released. And um, that was really a, a wonderful thing to happen, a blessing, because it just gave the music a chance to get back out. And for other people who uh, were fans of Platypus or, or never heard of us and wanted to just check it out, it gave them that opportunity to do that. So uh, a kudos to Christian for, um, and my joke is for showing that he's got great taste. You know? <laughs> I, I, it's a joke I use on stage with the group I sing with the Motown Sounds of Touch. Usually at the end of the night when we're finishing up a show, I will acknowledge the people that brought us to town, you know, to perform uh, and do the Motown tribute. And I say they just demonstrated that they have absolutely great taste for bringing us here. And that's a that's a joke because I'm complimenting us and them at the same time. So, you know, I noticed on that Cherry album also that Otis had a writing credit. So, yes, uh, I think that's called Have a Good Time or something. Yeah, I, that was a song that I believe Otis had that lick, uh, the guitar lick to that song. And uh, that's how that came about. And, and we collaborated. I think it might have had three writers on it. Uh, but uh, um, we collaborated and did that. And it came out really nice. We brought in some people to have party sounds in the studio and what have you before the song got going. And, yeah. Yeah, I got a very talented brother. Otis is a very talented uh, individual. So after that record came out, uh, what transpired? I mean, did did you get any kind of promotion and, and marketing? And did, did you know, how'd you feel about what happened? Well, here again, um, I think. When this particular project came, Jer Cherry came out. Um, you know, this is how the the industry. I don't know how it is now, but back in the day, you might get one chance if they decide to record you. Some people give you two chances, and some people might get, uh, decide I'm going to stay with this until we get something. We got two opportunities, and for whatever the reason, we didn't get the backing. We didn't get whatever we needed to for us to make that big splash. Because I, you know, it's funny. It was a guy uh, um, that's on Facebook. This is about a year or two ago. I guess he had heard uh, "Dancing in the Moonlight," and he put on uh, on uh, one of his pages that is dedicated to dating music or whatever. He said, how in the world did this not become an international pop smash hit? You know, and I just answered him. I said, I've always thought that myself many times, you know, and I thanked him for his comment. But, you know, some things uh, in life um, just uh, don't happen. Uh, and it could be based on uh, one or two things or my rather things. I don't think it was the music. I think it was maybe the promotion. And going back to what um, uh, uh, Mother's Finest lead vocalist was uh, sharing, uh, she was right. You know, there was just sometimes people just didn't know what to do or how to do it at that time. Now, they're much better with it now. 
But um, at that time, um, they struggled. And you brought out a point that was two years after with, with Prince getting th people throwing stuff at him was two years after we was with Casablanca. So uh, isn't that what you said? Yeah, well, actually, it was 81. So it's only one year after your okay. second record. Yeah, yeah. One, yeah. So see, that shows if, if he got stuff thrown at him on stage and he went on to be one of the greatest pop artists of all times, people really wasn't ready if they were throwing stuff at him. You know, so that for us, um, and he was out on tour. I think he, they said he was on tour with somebody, opening for somebody, and the people got to it. booing and then was whatever. I don't know. So it was just that we were in a time ahead of our times and people wasn't quite ready for an act that wasn't being black, didn't have a black, total black sound. Yeah. Well, there was also a tremendous disco backlash by 1980, right around there. And, you know, a lot of the black acts were, you know, just even unheard, you know, oh, it's disco. We're, we're anti-disco now. Right, right. So, yeah. Well, I, you know, I can tell you a, a story, <clears throat> a short story. I told you earlier, we used to play Yes, Roundabout. We uh, we did Siberian Kachru, uh, was, uh, and, um, but Roundabout, we used to play a lot of uh, dates that were for whites. And I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> They expected to hear Cool and the Gang or James Brown or something. But when we would play roundabout and not just play it, we got it done. Larry was magnificent with Steve Howe's guitar work. And he even would improvise. He would know that knew it so well, he could kind of throw in some of his, what he wanted to do. Whenever we played for white audiences, Scott, they just loved us because they didn't expect that. And not only when you do it, I give you another example. That's like our average white man. Blacks could appreciate them because they was getting it done. It was sad. They not only didn't think you was black. I mean, we didn't think you were white, but you got the job done and, and they could really appreciate that. And I think that's how we were appreciated from when people would hear us do roundabout, you know. So I just that's the surprise that our audience would get when we would do that. And that was the surprise in our sound that they, uh, the promotional people, I think, had to struggle with trying to get radio airplay. That uh, Cherry album cover, you know, a little bit touch of Ohio players kind of. And, and you know, it's cover too, you know, you know, it's funny. We had nothing to do with that album cover. We had everything to do with the first one and nothing to do with the second one. And I think once they found out we were from Dayton, Ohio and knew that and the Ohio players and you, you want to play on that. You want to use it to whatever it's worth, you know? So, uh, but you know, nice looking girl. I never met her that never saw her anything, you know? So they got a good, nice looking young lady, but, uh, yeah, that has got, as they say, is pretty Ohio player-ish. How, how, how did you and the guys take the news of uh, getting dropped? Well, whenever you get fired, <laughs> you know, whether it's at Casablanca or, or at Kroger, you know, I don't know if people receive it too well, but you know life goes on. And the, the, the music that... Um, 
was just released by uh, Super Disco Edits. That was a, a byproduct after we left uh, Casablanca. We cut some new stuff uh, to get a deal, which it didn't happen. But that was music uh, that was recorded at, uh, after we left Casablanca. Okay. So, yeah, um, that just came out last year, right? Uh, the, in the, in the, in the yes, fall? Uh, yeah. October, yes. Yeah. yeah. Just released it in October. And uh, from what I understand, it's been received pretty good. So that's, uh, I like your loving. And I never knew love could feel this way. Right. Yeah. And like your loving was inspired by uh, Lloyd Jones and everybody's credited uh, as writers. And uh, I never knew love Dana Myers, Belinda Liscomb and Jeffrey Cooper of Midnight Star wrote that. Yeah. Another great Dayton yeah. act, Midnight Star and the yeah. uh, Callaway family. Yeah. Oh Yeah. Yeah, Midnight Star. Um, I tell you, uh, right in that little area, Ohio and uh, Cincinnati and Dayton, they was because you know, um, I think the deal, some of the deal members are out of Cincinnati, you know, as well. So it just as as they say, something was in the water, you know. <laughs> yeah. So how did it uh, come to pass though that you finally got those records out and that music? Uh, out there for people to be able to hear and enjoy. We're talking, I like your loving. Yeah. Um, you know, what's interesting. The same way that you reached out to me to, uh, to want to do something on platypus. That's how this company reached out. wondering if platypus had any other music that had not been released, you know, and what's interesting about them. Uh, they absolutely are not interested in anything, but something that hasn't been released. Uh, that means if it was a a filler for an album, they don't want it. If it was a B-side to a, another song, they don't want that. They want stuff that's never been released. And we had some stuff that hadn't been released, and uh, they listened to it and liked it. And, and it's out there for people to enjoy and to uh, purchase and get some more platypus. <laughs> What kind of reaction have you gotten or heard about? I've gotten, I've only heard good uh, reports on it. They're liking it. Um, and the record company, people are buying it. You know, all of the promotional copies for it got sold out, you know. So whoever their uh, disc jockeys are that uh, get music from them, they ran out of it. So, and they said that it's moving pretty well with the public as well. And is there any more uh, in the vault somewhere? Well, uh, we'll see. You know, we, there's, we have some other things that um, we recorded that hasn't been released. Now, whether those songs will be to someone's liking, like I Like Your Loving and I Never Knew Love, that's how you get things released. Somebody has to like it, you know. I tell that uh, people that with booking uh, entertainment, they'd be saying, Stokes, man, why don't you book something? I said, I can't just make anybody book you. I can put you in front of them. And if they like you, then we can move forward, you know? So it's the same concept, you know, if they mm -hmm. like, I like something else and then we'll release something else, you know, but otherwise uh, that would be the, probably the most of it. Then. 
So what happened with you and the fellows after that? Did you guys still continue to perform as Platypus or did you just kind of go your separate no, ways? We, we kind of just went our separate ways and uh, people are just doing other things. And um, I started uh, singing. Uh, me and Weatherspoon had sung off and on over the years. He was with the Four Corners and early part of Platypus. But we've been singing now easily a good 15, 20 years with the group, the Motown Sounds of Touch, as a Motown tribute. And um, so we're singing, you know, everybody else is doing whatever they're doing. Curdy, I know he's a, a master drummer. He's uh, uh, doing a lot of things. He do some things with the deal. Uh, he plays some. He's played with Slave. He's uh, done some dates with Lakeside, you know, um, because he's that good. Uh, Jones is uh, uh, doing some things in Vegas. He lives in Vegas and plays bass. Uh, Kerry is um, doing more uh, uh, releasing a product, you know, uh, working with other acts and stuff. Um, Jerry Johnstone. He is uh, still playing uh, guitar. He plays with other people. He plays in the church. He travels with gospel groups and, or Christian groups, and he's uh, playing uh, secular music as well. So he stay, he's a great guitarist, so he stays busy. And with me uh, is Tajay Music, uh, and which is my production company. And I book entertainment. I record um, acts. I record myself. My son and my two nephews, they have a group called First Cousin because they're all first cousins. And uh, we did a project on them through CD Baby. So I try to stay um, and I'm working on a project, a movie project. I'm not at liberty to talk about. But once um, uh, we're very close to getting the ball rolling, I'm involved with the soundtrack music. And um, they're looking at getting started with uh, some filming of, of the scenes here in the near future. And I'm looking forward to going back into the studio to get started on some music for that. And, um, you know, uh, just doing whatever uh, uh, music that's available that keeps me um, interested and that's paid. You know, that's important. Because I'm still, when I pull into a gas station, I don't know many of them that's just letting people get gas for nothing. So I, I jokingly tell people, as long as I can keep some gas in the car and be able to buy a bag of potato chips when I want some, uh, I can move ahead. And you know what's interesting? I found out from working with Hal Davis, and um, I've learned just because I did it don't make anything good or great. I can be proud of it, but see... That's some good music. Cherry album and the first album was really some good music. Um, so I can say that and know it's based on the music and not my ego or me because I did it. <laughs> Hal Davis may rest in peace, boy. He taught me. I would come to up to the office at Motown sometime with a song, excited about it. And he would, uh, Hakeem, uh, you know, I, I, what were you doing right here, man? I'm not really feeling what you're doing right here. You know, he would tell you that that's, he was just being a producer, you know. But it taught me that when he liked something, he liked it. And if he didn't, he'd say that. And that helped me to learn that everything that I do is not good or great. But yes, there are some things that I do that really, really got to going on, you know. And I, that taught me uh, over the years that, if somebody don't like what I did, okay, I'm not offended. I mean, 
people ain't going to like everything. But then the things that are good and people are liking it, I can be proud of it and know that I figured that some people could like this, you know. So um, that's kind of just how it is in this business, you know. Are, are you more partial to the first or second record? You know what? You know, the only reason I would be partial to the first one is because it was the first one. You know, we finally got it. You know, we got signed with a major label, got a, a you know, got a, a really nice product out. But both of them got some good music on it. I mean, I really, you know, I could tell you on, uh, like I told you, uh, Running From Love is clearly one of my favorites on the first. I like Dancing in the Moonlight. I like, uh, uh, I love the way you funk. That's a great track. A lot of people like that. And then I can go to Cherry and say, appreciate your love and uh, giving you all my love and ice cream dream delight. Uh, I can name you some things on there that's got some good stuff happening, you know. So I, I guess I'm I'm not really partial to anyone musically because they both got good music. I would be partial to the first one only because that was our first truly successful uh, situation that happened. Mm -hmm. Well, um, it's so good to have you still you know, with us and doing stuff and bringing it back with the unreleased material. And so, I always so, say, praise God for all good. You know, I give him all the credit all the time. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm thankful too to be able to continue to do it. I tell people, I don't take it for granted, Scott. I don't, because uh, it's a lot of people when me and Weatherspoon singing somewhere, we see people in high school, man, y'all still doing it. And I tell them, I don't take this for granted. You know, it's a blessing to be able to do it. And these are some guys that we used to sing in talent shows that has quit doing it years ago. And they're just happy to see that we're still able to do it. Absolutely. Do you want to give uh, people a website or social media or anything like that? To, to well, um, people can go, um, if they want to check on uh, a platypus, you can go to uh, Facebook. For anybody that wants to know about anything that we're doing, we do post things there. Um, just go on uh, uh, Facebook and put in Platypus. The, um, you should put in a, a, a music group, Platypus, and it'll come up. Uh, other than that, my business, Tajay Music Entertainment, uh, you can put that in and that'll bring up um, anything that I'm doing these days. And um, that's pretty much about it. Yeah. Outstanding. Yeah, it's been so much fun talking to you. Thank you so much well, for the stories. Fun. Yeah. Well, I, hey, you know, it's funny. I tell people all the time, I got stories, man. Mm -hmm. I got stories. And because, you know, I mean, meeting Michael Jackson, I didn't even get into that. Going to his home, you know, being invited over there by Tito, you know, when he was in New York doing The Wiz, you know. So it's just a, a lot of stories. But uh, here again, those are uh, just a lot of wonderful things that happen. And, uh, you know, so much that I've done. I, I, I toured with uh, Heat Wave in Europe for a while. Uh, did a tour with them, England, Holland, Switzerland, and Germany. You know, uh, Johnny Wilder at the time, he had had the accident and needed a vocalist, and he called me. He said, uh, Hakeem, can you hit the high notes I do on uh, uh, 
always in favor. I said, of course, man. I mean, I seek first Timothy, you know. So I was um, hired to uh, tour over in Europe with them, had a great time. And, you know, I've been blessed. You know, I've been blessed uh, to experience a lot of things and to do some things that most people will, can only dream about and think about. So I'm I'm thankful and I praise God for every good thing that he's done. And, and I don't, I feel like my best days are ahead of me. There you go. Amen. You know, <laughs> so, uh, wow. Heat wave. Well, you know, uh, I regretfully, um, there's not really any folks around still from that group. I've wanted to tell their story also. Um, but I mean, it's I've, really, you know, I had Keith, Keith Harrison has been on and okay. he worked some with them and Sheldon yes, Reynolds has been on and he's played right. some with them. I actually came, I, I came with them after Keith had been there. Keith was there. Then they got Evan Rogers. And then I came in, you know, I'm here to, you know, be the messenger and document whatever I can when we still have great folks like you still with us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a lot of us still blessed to be around and, uh, you know, to, you know, talk about, uh, the good old days and the, 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 so much music that has influenced this generation that we're hearing now, you know? So. Yeah. Did Platypus get sampled much? If they do, I wouldn't know about it. I haven't heard anything. Now I want to tell you, uh, there's a very close, if, uh, I've always thought that, um, the gap band song, uh, borrowed our, uh, baseline from love the way you funk. I've always thought that um, because it's very close. If you, um, I'm trying to think of. Burn rubber. It might be burn rubber. I, but I, 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 that, that the two bass lines is very, very close. And we had out love the way you funk before that. And I know I used to, uh, in fact, Don Alexander and Lonnie Simmons, you know, they were all friends and, uh, back in the day in Los Angeles, because they had total experience at the time, they had the Gap Band, and they used to come through Dayton in the early days. And you know, if, if we all would give our CDs, you know, pass them out, you know, our records, just uh, sharing what we're doing, and hope people can say, "Hey, what you did is great." And um, I feel, I mean, it's not a big deal, you know. I'm just saying that it reminds me of what we did. You know, I'm not saying anybody stole anything or anything like that. <clears throat> There's a lot of things that people uh, do. And um, there was a, uh, <laughs> I think it was uh, one of the Beatles songs. She's so fine. Doodling, doodling. I think they went to court. My sweet Lord. It was a George. Yeah, My sweet Lord. Yeah. yeah. They were saying that he got that from them and it ended up, they didn't charge him with that because he, here's, first of all, when I first heard it, I said, I think that, some chords can just be similar and people do things because when you think of the Beatles, they were some of the most creative guys to come along in such a long time. That what You know, if, if it sounds like I doubt if they were still in anything because they were just that creative, you know, and they was coming up with stuff all the time. So I'm just saying, you know, that um, it's a compliment if they did hear it and decided they wanted to borrow it. It was a compliment because it was a great baseline. Um, compliments to Lloyd Rock Jones, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you uh, for having me, for thinking about us. 
and uh, God bless you for it. And I, who knows, somebody may see this and say, hey, uh, let me go and look up some of that music and see if I can buy something. Absolutely. Yeah. Keep it out there. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing on to the rhythm of the one.